is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Christmas is, is coming, but the first Christmas, the, the first coming of Jesus has, has already come. And last week we said the coming of Christmas was at the right time in the fullness of time or at the completion of time. And after the service was over Sunday, a friend pointed out to me that Daniel, the prophet, made a prophetic announcement that the Messiah would come roughly 500 years later, 483, 490, almost say roughly 500 years later. And you'll find that prophecy in the book of Daniel in chapter 9. And though that passage has diverse understandings, Listen to about what I'm about to say. All Christian commentators see it as referencing the first coming of Christ, and, they, and it's with amazing accuracy, with amazing accuracy. And my friend pointed this out to me, that the fullness of time may have simply been that it was at the time that God had said Jesus was coming. I got to tell you, I missed that one. Indeed, I want to go back, if I could, and add something to last week and say, when God sent forth Jesus in the fullness of time to be born of a woman under, under the law to redeem us from our sin, the fullness of time surely must have included the fact that it was right at the time that God had prophesied that he was going to send Messiah. And, and that was a, just a really uh, neat thing, a humbling thing to realize I missed that amongst all the other things that I said, or may have been the reason why God chose that time. But in part, it was because God had prophesied that that was the time he was going to send Jesus. Now, this week, we want to note that not only did Jesus come at the right time, but I want to share with you that Jesus came with the right message. Came with the right message. The first Christmas was with the right message. So there's an important question that, that stems from that statement. It would be, what was the message of the first Christmas? What was the message of Jesus coming? Now, maybe a lot of things come to your mind. They did for me. I started thinking, well, what is the message of the first Christmas? Well, it could be the supremacy of love. There's an awful lot about love in the Bible. And it could be the supremacy of love. It could be the need for hope that we have past the grave. It could be that we are called to forgive or that we are called to operate in faith. It could have been all of those things. And actually, I believe everything that I just mentioned is interwoven throughout the message that Jesus brought in his coming. But I don't think they're the overarching message of the first Christmas. I want to share with you what I believe that message is. Here's what I believe is the overarching message of the first Christmas. It was that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the kingdom of God has come, that the kingdom of God is coming. In fact, the, the message of, of the kingdom of God is what makes the world and everything in it, in my, in my understanding anyway, it, it is what makes sense of everything else, the coming of the kingdom of God. Here's Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, at the early ministry of Jesus. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, that is the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. 
So not only is this the central message, as we're going to see, but it's the message that Jesus would tell his disciples that they're to preach. And I want to say to you this morning, I think it's the message of the good news that we are to preach as well. Before Jesus ever came on the scene, before he ever arrived here in the incarnation, God, God promised it was either it was either um, Mary or Joseph. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he said, the angel said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So Jesus was coming as a king and he was coming to reign over a kingdom that would have no end. Before Jesus began to openly preach himself, John the Baptist came as a, as a precursor to Jesus. He came saying, hey, the, the Messiah, the special king that we talked about a few weeks ago, he's just around the corner. He's coming. And here's what he said in verse 3 of Luke 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then Jesus comes and he begins to preach the same message. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God was continuously Jesus' message. It's the good news. It's the evangel. It's the gospel. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. By the time we get to Matthew 9, deep into the ministry of Jesus, we read this at verse 35. Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. So Matthew 4 says the ministry of Jesus began with him teaching and preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. It continues all the way throughout his ministry. Matthew chapter 9, he is preaching the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. We get to Matthew 10. He tells his 12 disciples, he said, listen, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. But as you go, here's the message. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus would send out 72 men, not just his 12, a little later. In chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Heal those who are sick. This is from Luke's gospel. Heal those who are sick, who are there, and tell them, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Lest you get buried in all that I'm reading, I want to remind you what I'm telling you is that when the first Christmas came, it came with the right message. And the message of the first Christmas was that the kingdom of God has drawn near. God did incredible miracles through the life of Jesus, okay? But the substance of his message was the kingdom of God. The message was that the kingdom of God is here. In Luke 16, 16, we read something explicit that I think is implicit in everything I've read you so far. And in, in what it says in Luke 16, 16, is that Jesus invite, is inviting everyone to be a part of this kingdom. That's the best news. Everyone was welcome to be a part of his kingdom. Here's verse 16 of chapter 16 of Luke. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter in. 
Jesus was out preaching that if you are willing, if you're able to recognize your need, you are invited to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. And this wasn't just the good news. This was the best part of the good news, that the kingdom of God had come, but that God was inviting everyone to be a part of it, that you could be a part of the kingdom of God. You simply had to come to the king. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. The question now arises, if you're, and this is going to be one of Jimmy's logical kind of progression messages, all right? The question that now arises is this, what was this kingdom of God that Jesus came offering? I mean, if you agree with me that the message of Jesus was that he was saying the kingdom of God has come near and he's urging everyone to become a part of it, the question now we have to answer is what is the kingdom of God that was here? What is it that he's offering to all the people as he preaches the kingdom of God? Well, a couple of preliminary thoughts. First of all, God is already king over all his creation. Listen to me what I mean by that. The Bible says that God sits in heaven. He's sovereign over everything. He does whatever he wants. So God is in charge of his kingdom. The Bible says that God reigns over his creation. The Bible says that he sustains it and keeps it. We are not deist. If you don't know what a deist is, a deist is someone who believes that God exists, but that he went on vacation after he created. And then basically we're just living on the world that God created without his involvement. The Bible disregards that. The Bible speaks against that and says that God is sustaining his creation. He's a part of it. So when John the baptizer came and he said, hey, the kingdom of God is drawn near, and Jesus follows that same message, the kingdom of God has drawn near, the kingdom of God is here. When he began to say those things, they are not referring somehow that God is not overall of his creation, that he does not sit sovereignly over it, or that he's somehow uninvolved. That is not what they mean. So people have expressed this in different ways. But when Jesus said that the kingdom of God was near and here, here is what I think he meant. Here's what people say he meant. He meant that God was now coming to rule on the earth personally and purposefully and powerfully through King Jesus. That God was coming in the person of Jesus to rule over, over the earth, rule over all of the people of the world. Last week we saw that God had promised and predicted repeatedly through the prophets that he was going to send this king. Remember this? This king, this, this righteous king. And he would come and rule over the people. And of his kingdom, there would there'd be no end. In spite of how all the things the prophets clearly said, they missed it. They missed this one part. They missed that the king would be the mighty God. I read to you this morning as we begin Isaiah chapter 9, where it says that he'll be called the mighty God, the everlasting father. They missed somehow that this special king that was coming was actually going to be mighty God and that God was coming actually personally to rule over us. So when Jesus said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was at hand, here's what he meant. He meant that God had showed up. And God had done what he promised, and God was personally here to reign over his creation. God had come as that special king who was going to reign over us. And so the Old Testament prophecies talk about King Jesus or talk about God coming as that king, but uh, it just continues all throughout the New Testament narrative. So in the birth announcements of Jesus, the angel says, you remember what the angel said? And you shall call his name Emmanuel. Because God will be with us, all right? John the Apostle, when he wrote his first 
you know, treaties about Jesus' life. He begins it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says a bunch of other things, but in verse 14, he comes back to that, that use of Word as God. Remember, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. The Word became a person and dwelt among us, and we observed His glory. Glory is of the uh, only... Glory as the uh, one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Stay with me. I know it's kind of warm in here. The author of Hebrews begins telling us in his treatise that Jesus was the exact representation of God. Here's chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now listen to this. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Paul tells the Colossian Christians, here's what he says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created uh, through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. I couldn't leave any of this out. I'm sorry. So that he might have first place in everything for God. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in the earth, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Now, a lot of liberal people will say this to us. A lot of people who disregard the, the, the nature of the scriptures or the testimony of these men, they would say things like this. The only person that said that about Jesus are the people that followed him. And it was made up years later. It's not what Jesus said. Lest we misunderstand Jesus, Jesus comes along and he calls himself, I am. In, in the Sunday school class that Matt was leading this morning, they were talking about how, how Jesus or how God calls himself I am and names himself the ever-present one. Well, Jesus takes that name for himself in John chapter 8. They understand it. They're going to kill him because of that. And if that's not enough, in an exchange with Philip on the night before his death, Philip says, hey, show us God and it's enough for us. You remember how Jesus replied? Have I not been with you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, show us God? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. So the kingdom of God when, it said, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is drawn near, what Jesus was saying was God has come to reign over all the earth. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has, has come. God is here. This new kingdom that God's been promising throughout all the ages, it's arrived. And I want to invite every one of you to be a part of that kingdom. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus tells us an awful lot about the kingdom. If you would just permit me for a few minutes, my desire this morning is to encourage you with the kingdom. I want to encourage you in the fact that you're part of the kingdom. I want to encourage you with Christmas is about the coming of the kingdom of God, about God himself coming here to rule and reign over us. And so I want to just show you some things about the kingdom this morning. Jesus came to preach the kingdom had arrived, but he also came inviting people to, a part of, to be a part of it. And so he would talk about the kingdom a lot. Let me show you some things about the kingdom. He said repentance was necessary to enter the kingdom of God. I read you several verses, but, but it's just go back 
check me out on this. Go back and read through your Gospels. And here's what you'll read over and over again. You'll read it from John. You'll read it from Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible tells us that entrance into the kingdom of God involves repentance. Now, Jesus doesn't say what we're to repent of. The word repent means to change our mind about something. I, I want to suggest to you that repentance is turning from self-rule and self being the king over our life and being willing to submit ourselves to this new kingdom and to this new king who has come to rule. I think that's what repentance is. Jesus is telling the Jews in particular, but all of us, he's saying, your chosen status as Jews isn't what makes you a part of the kingdom of God. It's your heart. It's your heart repentance towards God and willing to bring yourself and submit yourself to God. That's what makes you a part of his kingdom. He said this about the kingdom. He told us that we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. If you've watched The Chosen, you'll probably never think of Nicodemus in the same way as you used to, right? I know I won't. And again, of course, The Chosen doesn't necessarily have Nicodemus's life right. But Jesus meets with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees. And he's a man whose heart was obviously inclined towards the Lord. And he's seeking the Lord. And he wants to meet with Jesus in the middle of the night so he can ask some questions because he doesn't understand. And you remember Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, man, I don't get that. How, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, man, you're, you're one of the teachers in Israel and you don't get this. And this is what he says to Nicodemus as an explanation of what it means to be born again. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. To experience the new birth, Jesus says, you must believe on the Lord Jesus, just like Moses lifted up a certain serpent. If you don't know the Old Testament story, they were being bit by snakes. God told Moses, put a serpent up on a stick. And if somebody believes, looks at that serpent and believes that God will heal him, he'll heal him. Jesus said in the same way, I'll be lifted up on a stick. And if you believe in me, if you put your trust and confidence in me, then you too will be forgiven. So to be a part of the kingdom of God, Jesus said we must be born again. We must put our faith in him. And, and this is kind of insightful too. On numerous occasions, Jesus would take a little child and he would put the child on his knee and he would say to his followers, unless you become like this child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What did he mean? We've got to become immature? No, that's not what he meant. I, I, again, he doesn't ever explain that. But most all of us agree that what he meant is we need to trust God the way children trust in the adults that are in their lives. I mean, children trust their parents unequivocally. I mean, all things being equal. They trust their parents. And I believe this is what Jesus was saying. We must have trust. Jesus used parables to explain the nature of his kingdom and what it was like. Remember that? He used all kinds of parables. A parable was a story that Jesus would throw alongside spiritual truth to help illustrate it. But then he wouldn't necessarily explain what the story meant. His disciples pulled him aside one day and said, why do you do that? Why do you teach in parables, you know, so that people don't really understand? And Jesus said, listen, to you has been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom. 
I'm teaching you all, and I'm telling you a lot of things about the kingdom, but I am purposely hiding it from so many people. And he was hiding it from them as a judgment. And he quotes Isaiah, so that seeing they will not see. So, hey, that that might be hard, but it's a judgment from God. The Jews who thought because they were Jewish, they're in the kingdom. Jesus is trying to say to them, no, you're not. You're not in the kingdom because of your chosen race. You'll be in the kingdom because you repent and because you put your faith in the king, because you bring yourself into the kingdom. You, You trust in the king to bring you into the kingdom by faith. But he gave all kinds of parables. Remember the parable of the soils. There was the parable of the soils. And in that parable, Jesus talks about a a man going out to sow the word of the kingdom. He goes out to tell people about entering in the kingdom of God. And he says the seed falls on four types of hearts. You know, the stone, I mean, the rock hard heart that doesn't even penetrate. Then you got two soils that it somewhat penetrates, but then dies. And then you got the real good soil that hears the message of the kingdom. And they bring forth fruit because they're part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God's like that. The message of the kingdom is going to go out and... People are like those four different soils. There was the parable of the weed and the weeds. Remember that one? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who has a field. And and what's happened is that this this enemy has come into into the man's field at night and he's sown tares amongst the wheat. And then when they grow up, they be, they, the, his workers find out that there's tares in the wheat field. Tares look like wheat, but they don't have any fruit. They want to know, what should we do? Should we tear up the tares? And the owner says, no, let them grow together. And at the end of harvest, then we'll separate them. Because if you tear them up now, you're probably going to get it wrong. And you're going to be uprooting some of the wheat. So just let them grow. And at the end, God will separate them. He said, the kingdom of God sort of like that. We're going to kind of, in this kingdom of God, people are going to be growing, and some of them are going to be the real, really part of the kingdom, and some are not going to be part of the kingdom. Let them grow together. Don't you worry about trying to figure out who's who. He said the, the kingdom was sort of like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, but it would grow really large, and all kinds of birds and animals would take shelter in the kingdom. He said that's how the kingdom of God is. And I think what he meant was it was starting small, but today, you know, people from, the, people from the far corners of the world are all part of the kingdom of God. It started small, but it's very large today. He told the parable of the kingdom being like a pearl of great price or a treasure. And you remember those parables? He said, it's like a man finding the great pearl or the great treasure. And he sells everything else to have the pearl. Here's what that meant. That meant that the kingdom of God is so valuable that you should be willing to trade everything in this life to be a part of the kingdom of God. How about the parable of the man hiring in the morning and at noon and in the mid-afternoon and then at night? Remember that? Hey, come to work for me and I'll give you $100 a day, he said, at 8 o'clock in the morning. They come to work. I think he goes out again at 9, hires some more at noon, 3. Come and work for me and I'll pay you at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they, bring, they all come in and he starts with the people he hired last and he gives them $100. And, and the people that are at the beginning, they're like, oh, wow, just think how much money we're going to get if they got $100 for coming in at the, at the tail end. And he just goes down the line. He gives them all $100. And they're all upset because they only get $100. He said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, guys, it's, it's the kingdom of God is the reward. The kingdom of God is the blessing. It doesn't matter whether you come in early or come in late. The, the main thing is that you be a part, that you come into the kingdom of God. That's the message that he was preaching. Here's some other things about the kingdom. Jesus gave warnings about his kingdom. He said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Remember that? Matthew 19, 23, repeated in all three gospels. Truly, I tell you, it'll be hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? 
Why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom? Because if you have to trust God and you're rich, you don't have any need to trust God for anything. And he said, he said it. I'm not saying it. He said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. I think because it's hard for them to see their need. They have everything they want. He said, not every, here's another thing. Not everyone who claims to follow Jesus really is part of the kingdom. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do miracles? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's a warning. It's a warning about the kingdom that not everybody who thinks they're in is a part of the kingdom. Here's another thing about the kingdom. Jesus said, Paul said it also, those who practice sin will not be a part of his kingdom. Now, I got to really be careful here. I got to be really careful here because I don't want you to misunderstand me. But in Matthew 7, Jesus said, depart from me, you lawbreakers. Depart from me, you who are not faithful and obedient to God. Paul would say it like this in just about every one of his letters. He repeats this. Here's 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral person, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom. Man, there, and then he goes on to say this. He says, but such were some of you, but you've been cleansed from that. Here's where I want you to follow me. Because we tend to swing the pendulum. Prior to the Reformation in the 1500s, somehow the pendulum kept moving further and further this way. And entrance into the kingdom of God was by acts of obedience to God. It was by, by how you lived, by the fact that you, were, you had to do certain things, right? And so if you did those things, you were in the kingdom of God. And the Reformation came along and the reformers like Martin Luther and others, they said... That pendulum is way out of place there. And the Bible says that the righteous live by faith and not by their works of righteousness. And, and, so, and so the pendulum, and again, rightly so, moved back this way. And today, I think there's a danger sometimes that if anyone talks about faithfulness to God in the kingdom, they're, they're being said, it's being said of them that they're teaching moralism, that somehow or another... If you talk about walking in faithfulness to God, that you're somehow swinging the pendulum back over here and you're talking about salvation by just how we live. I don't think either one of those two places is right. I think where God desires for us to live is by faith. But when we live by faith, guys, we we follow the king. We follow the king. We cannot say that we're walking in faith, that we've been born again and yet live in absolute contrariness to God's will and God's word. We need to bring ourselves into faithfulness to God's word. Listen, I know we stumble and I don't want to, I don't want to put an undue burden on anyone's back here. Paul, Peter, Jesus, they're not telling us that somehow we earn the kingdom by our moral ability. They're not telling us that. They're telling us over and over again that the righteous shall live by faith. That faith is the key to God declaring us righteous and and entering into his kingdom. But having said that, unless we repent of our sin and turn from our sin, then, then we don't have faith. So as best I understand it, everyone, faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. To put my faith in Jesus is to turn from my sin and rebellion. Again, not that we're perfect, 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are going to stumble and fail. But here's the deal. No idolater, no immoral person, no adulterer, no male who has sex with males or female who has sex with females, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunkards, verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. We don't need to be those things anymore. We need to turn from those things. Jesus said some, I'm moving on. Jesus said seemingly contradictory things about the kingdom. Let me share with you some of those things that are seemingly contradictory. Not that they are. And I'm going to try to harmonize them. Here's one. He said the kingdom of God is near. Over and over again he said that. Luke 10, 8. When you enter any town, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Here's another one. The kingdom of God would not come with observable measures or manifestations. In other words, in other words, the kingdom of God is drawn near, Jesus said, but at the same time, he said, you're not going to be able to see it. There's not going to be any kind of observable manifestations of this. Here's Luke 17. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Some of your translations say it's in your hearts. Here's something else he said about the kingdom that seems contradictory to some of these other things. He said the kingdom of God was not, his kingdom was not of this world. Here he says to, in John chapter 18, when he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is drawn near. It's not going to come with observable things. Then he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then he said this about the kingdom. He said, some of you standing here, you will not die till you see the kingdom of God coming in power and glory. Luke 9, 27. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Here's something else. The Bible definitively tells us that Jesus will reign on the earth, that every knee will bow to him, every tongue confess he is Lord. Now, Jesus, that I know of, I couldn't find a place where these words come out of the mouth of Jesus, but the mouth of his followers, here's what they said, 1 Corinthians 15. Then the end comes when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. For God has put everything under his feet. The last enemy being to be abolished is death. In Philippians, Paul writes this, for this reason, God highly exalted and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So here, here we have our, his followers telling us there's a day when Jesus is going to reign over all the earth. How do we harmonize all those different statements about the kingdom. Well, here, here's, what I, here's how I think that God would have us harmonize those statements that appear maybe to be contradictory, but aren't. When Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom, but not in the sense of ruling physically and, and taking over the world. He rather came to offer his kingdom to people who would enter it by faith and repentance, and they would be a part of his kingdom in their hearts. And though it wouldn't be observable in the nations of the world, it would be observable in their lives. 
It would be observable by how they lived. It would be observable by the fact that they had brought themselves under his kingship. And he is inviting them and inviting everyone since then and inviting us to enter into his kingdom and be a part of it. And that's why he said, Pilate said, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I'm not taking over the world right now, but he will. But he wasn't at that point. He told the Pharisees, you won't see my kingdom in observable ways. My kingdom is in the hearts of men. And, uh, and this is where, I think I have it right. I believe I do anyway. But I think when Jesus said, remember he said this, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God coming in power. Here's, here's what Jimmy believes. Jimmy believes that the establishment of Jesus' kingdom the king had drawn near, the king was here, but the establishment of the kingdom came with the righteous life of Jesus, laid down in an unrighteous death to be raised up in resurrection and power. And I believe that was the establishment of the kingdom of God. In other words, I believe it was the resurrection and the life of Jesus that established his kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, it's one of my favorite passages, but in Daniel chapter 7, there's a vision that Daniel sees. And it's in verse 13, and I've, I've read it to you often, but let me read it to you again. In this vision, Daniel sees, he says this, I continued watch, watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. In that vision, and again, I don't, I don't know that it's literal, but I, but I think it is pointing to the ascension of Jesus who was raised in the clouds that day. And I think he was raised, according to the vision, he was raised into the presence of the Ancient of Days of God and was escorted before God. And God, for the first time, now Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. We'll hear more about that next week. But the, the, the God who became flesh is now walking back into the, into the halls of, of God's heaven and he's being escorted before the Ancient of Days and he is given a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will, be, it will not be destroyed. I believe that the establishment of the kingdom of God came upon Jesus' life his sinless, spotless life laid down in death for us, raised to be the King of kings and Lord of lords and his kingdom to be established. Maybe. Uh, so when Jesus said, some of you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory, the kingdom of God coming. I think he was talking about his disciples that were in the group seeing the resurrection of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. Or maybe he meant the day when, when God, the kingdom of God, would come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Maybe he was talking about that. But either way, the Messiah King and the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus rules in our hearts now. He rules in our hearts now. His kingdom had drawn near. His kingdom has come. And his kingdom will come because Jesus is coming back again. And this time when he comes, as we said from 2 Peter chapter 3, he's coming to rule over all the earth. And right now his kingdom is from corner to corner of the planet. And I realize the planet doesn't have corners. But from the, from the east to the west, 
Jesus reigns over the hearts of men and women from every part of the globe. He's reigning in our hearts. But there's coming a day when he will put all of his enemies under his feet and he will reign over all the globe. He will be the king of kings over all things as we know them today. Here's what the book of Revelation says. It says the kingdoms of this world, the nations of this world will become the kingdom of our God. Revelation chapter 11, just listen and rejoice. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms or the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. He will reign forever and ever. 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, Lord God, the almighty who is and was because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but the wrath has come. The time Time has come for the dead to be judged, to give up, give the reward to your servants and prophets, to the saints and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. And Jesus is coming again to reign over all the earth. The message of Christmas that has come was that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom came because the king of kings came and dwelt among us and lived with us, laid down his sinless life, took it back up again through the power of God, and now reigns over all of our hearts. Anyone who is willing to submit to him as king, he reigns over our hearts, and one day he's going to reign over all the earth. Now what do we do with this? I've got four applications. Don't be afraid, they're really short. What, what should we do with this? What should we do with this message of Christmas? Here it is. First, number one, seek first the kingdom of God, everyone. Those are the words of our king. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else shall be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom. Prioritize his kingdom. What does it look like? You say, I don't know what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, you do. It means seek Jesus and his kingdom. Make it the priorities of your life. And it's so easy to make everything else a priority other than Jesus in our lives and other than his kingdom. So easy to make everything else a priority. Here's a, here's a rhetorical question I'd like to put before you. I'd like you to ask yourself this question. If you honestly asked your family, your friends, and you said, hey, be honest with me, what characterizes my life? Does the kingdom of God, does Jesus as my king and his kingdom, would you say that's the priority of my life? Or would you say something else is the priority of my life? I think that's a question that if we're willing, it'd be a great question to ask those who love us. Number two, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's the message. It's the good news. The kingdom of God has come and you are invited to be a part of it. You are invited to be a part of the kingdom that begins for us now and lasts forever. A kingdom that will have no end. We get to be a part of it forever. Matthew 10, 7, as you go, he told his disciples, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Unless you think Unless you think that the message changed. Here's the Apostle Paul, years later, towards the end of his life, Acts 28, verse 30. Paul, he's in Rome. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Messiah with all boldness and without hindrance. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God. Man, everyone, we should be 
proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's the message of Christmas. It's the message that Jesus brought to us. Number three, serve the king of the kingdom of God. On the night before his death, he's preparing his disciples. And this is what he tells them, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The implication is that Jesus loved them and he desired them to love him. And he said, guys, here's how you love me. You obey me. That's how you love me. That's how your love for me will be seen. It'll be seen in the fact that you are willing to submit to my kingship. The good news of the kingdom of God is the king has come. And with humility, we are to lay down our lives in, in, in faithfulness, in obedience to him. We serve him through obedience. We serve him through prioritizing the kingdom. We serve him by taking the message of the kingdom to everyone around us. The Apostle Paul would say this, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but it's in righteousness. It's not in necessarily what we do, but it's in our faithfully seeking to follow the Lord. Number four, look forward to the realized kingdom of God. Don't forget that Jesus will one day return, everyone. And again, I've talked about this a lot with 2 Peter, right? But don't forget that the kingdom is coming. That one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't forget that. You know, in 2 Peter, a couple of weeks ago, you remember Peter says this, and hasten the day of the Lord. You remember that? And, and when he said, hasten the day of the Lord, I told you, the only way I can think that we can hasten the day of the Lord is to, pr is to pray, is to pray, maybe to proclaim the kingdom of God. Maybe that hastens it too. But I suggested that we pray and hasten the kingdom of God. And I just want to say, Dickie, I appreciate since the last three weeks, I guess, you're constantly praying that. Lord, I want to hasten your day. I'm asking you to come. I, I tell you, everyone, let's Look with anticipation for the realized kingdom of Jesus. Look for it. Wait for it. Be expectant. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.